0: You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll examine the story of Jonah to discover God's heart towards humanity as well as the propensity we have to worship things other than God. In the book of Jonah, the Old Testament book of Jonah, and I want to pick up where we left off on last week, Jonah chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. And as we do every week, my teaching notes, uh, scripture, and a number of things are out on the TWC app, and so if you have the app, um, you can pull it out, and uh, all of the reference scriptures and things, fill in the blanks, will be there for you. And if you are sitting near or next to someone that's intrigued about it, do want you to be a great friend, show them very quickly how they can download the TWC app in any app store. This series has uh, been life-changing for me. At the beginning of this series, I shared with, with you that I've never before taught through the book of Jonah, very familiar with the story, and so I don't want to rehash what I shared in week one. But every week, God has been doing some significant things in my heart and just really, really ministering to me as I have been preparing to minister to you. But in particular, um, I was already blown away by this series and what God has been saying through it. But this past week, uh, just recently, a couple of days ago, this series took on new meaning for me because I was invited um, to the White House on Friday and uh, had never been to the White House before and never thought in a million years that I would be invited by this administration. Uh, And I really struggled. Uh, I'm just being very honest. I struggled. Uh, I was called the week before and they said, hey, um, can you get to the White House on Friday for a meeting? Um, They would like to hear from you about criminal justice reform and the need for criminal justice reform. Many of you are aware that we have for a very long time done extensive work in and around the prisons in uh, and around the city. I think we're in uh, seven or eight different prisons every week ministering there. And uh so I, I struggled and um I heard the Lord say, But maybe this is your Nineveh. Uh and so, you know, I struggled and I even told my wife, I said, you know, I, I, I want to go and I wanna make sure that I don't miss God in this. I could go um in my flesh and I could go, you know, with guns blazing ready to ready to say what I really feel like needs to be said, but the Lord said, Be still. Uh, And I did. I went up on Friday and uh, had an amazing meeting with Jared Kushner and his team. And and they honestly wanted to hear uh, my thoughts on criminal justice reform. And there's a possible bill that they're trying to get passed. And it just goes to show you that you never know what God is going to do and how he's going to do it. you just never know. And uh, I, you know, because I was all kind of messed up emotionally and internally, and I was calling people, calling, you know, prayer warriors, calling some, some men and women that have covered me in prayer and even speak prophetically in my life. And I called one in particular, and I said, hey, man, I need your prayers. Um, I'm on my way up to the White House, you know, don't really know how I feel about it, uh, don't know what's going to be involved in this meeting, and just need you to cover me and pray. He said, well, I've already been doing that. I said, What well, you didn't know I was going. He said, no, you don't remember the prophetic word that was spoken. Over you in the church many, many years ago, God said that you were going to be going to the White House. And so I also share that with maybe one or two or three or four or five of you who are living under a prophetic word that God has spoken and you've forgotten about it. And every word that God has spoken will come to pass in his own timing. And I just want you to receive that. Amen. All right. Let's get to work. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. Let's pick up where we left off on last week. It says this, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. If you remember last week, Nineveh and the entire city repented and turned to the Lord. And so it says that he did not bring the destruction on them that he had threatened. But look at chapter 4, verse 1. Here it is. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. In Week 4 of this series, I want to talk for a few moments about great anger and great grace. Now, this is week four of this series. We've been walking through the book of Jonah. We have been learning more and more about being overwhelmed by grace. And I have said every week, uh, really, the, the reason why this is, I think, a right now message, uh, and it bears repeating, so I'm going to say it again. Th- this, this book and this message from God that is in this book uh, is a message that the world desperately needs to hear at this critical moment In our history because the only cure to sin and the other problems that we're currently facing in our communities and in our country is the gospel real change real transformation cannot happen independently of the gospel and I know when you hear that many people wonder well what is the gospel the gospel is the good news that even though we are more defective and even though we are more lost than we ever imagined At the same time, we can be more accepted and more loved than we ever dared hope for, all because Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again for sinners, messed up people like you and I. And it's this understanding that God wants to mold and shape our lives. It's this understanding that God wants to literally define how we think and how we feel and how we live and this is why the book of Jonah, this obscure, short, four-chapter book, is so significant. The book of Jonah is so significant because it is a storied presentation of the gospel. It is the story of sin and grace. It's the story of desperation and deliverance. It's a story that shows us in ultra-high definition that while our sin reaches far, God's grace reaches farther. It's a story that shows us that while you and I are great sinners, God is a greater Savior. The book of Jonah shows us that God specializes in relentlessly pursuing rebels, fugitives like you and me. Now last week I shared with you that Nineveh in particular is a picture of the particular groups and even the kinds of people that the church is struggling to address right now in society. As a matter of fact, on last week, I asked you to get in your mind, get a picture in your mind of the worst kind of person, whatever you define as the worst kind of person. I asked you last week to just get that picture in your mind because while you were thinking about that, I wanted you to understand that No matter how bad this this person in your mind was, Nineveh was far worse than that. Because I wanted you to understand that no matter how you define bad people, the fact that God sends Jonah to Nineveh of all places reveals the heart of God for problematic, messed up people. That there is literally no one outside of the grip of God's grace. And so we looked at what Nineveh represents, but I also asked you on last week that to, to, to think about Jonah and to understand that, that Jonah is very much a picture of the church today, a church that at times appears to be you know sometimes filled with more judgment, more condemnation and hate than literally overwhelmed by grace and sharing that grace with everyone that they come in contact with. And you're going to really see this this week. In week 4 and chapter 4, because the first thing you see with Jonah is a misplaced understanding. Number one, I want you to to get this if you're following along in the notes. The first thing you see with Jonah is a misplaced understanding. Because if you go back to Jonah 4 and verse 1, after an entire city repents and, and comes to the Lord, after families give their lives to the Lord, destinies and futures are altered, Chapter four, verse one says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry and he literally prays to the Lord and said, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home, this is what I tried to forestall, meaning prevent by fleeing the Tarshish. I knew that that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So get this, an entire city turns to the Lord. And yet Jonah is, is, is angry. And when, and when the text says angry, the literal translation of that verse, that phrase, literally means a great anger. Some translations even suggest that it was a great evil to Jonah. That, that when this whole city is saved and, and God relents... That that Jonah thinks that what God does is evil. And I want you to see this because I really want you to get a glimpse of the intensity and the depth of Jonah's emotions here. He's not just bothered a little bit. He, He is deeply troubled. This was deeply offensive to him. Jonah is fuming. He's angry beyond beyond any small measure of anger, and and all of these negative emotions are directed towards God, all because the city was saved. And Jonah begins to talk to God and says, "I, I, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. And he knows the character of God. He says, I, I knew I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, that you're slow to anger, that you're abounding in love. I knew that you were a God who relents in sending calamity. And this is so important. I, I dare not run past this too fast. I don't want you to miss this. Jonah points out the character of God. And he's absolutely correct. As a matter of fact, God first reveals this part of his character in Exodus 33 and 18 when, when Moses says to God, I I can't leave. I'm not going to leave these people. We're not going to leave this place, God, unless your glory goes with us. Moses literally asked God in Exodus 33 and 18. He says, God, show me your glory. And it says that God puts him in the cleft of a rock and allows his glory to pass by. And there's a whole bunch in that symbolism and and the point of him being in the cleft of the rock. But I don't have time to unpack that. But it literally says in Exodus 34 and verse 6. That as the glory of the Lord passed in front of Moses, God spoke and God said, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. A- as the glory of God passes over Moses, God describes himself. God says, this is who I am. And I want you to see this. Th- this This. Is who God is. You don't have to wonder about his character. You don't have to guess about the character of God. He tells us right here. And this understanding was pressed into the consciousness of the nation of Israel, so much so that in the Psalms, David repeats this over and over and over again. So when Jonah says these things about God, he's spot on. He accurately Depicts the character of God. The problem is Jonah doesn't like it. What he says about God is right. The problem is that Jonah just can't stand that. Instead of appreciating God for who he is. Jonah is trying to remake God in his own image. And we often do the same thing. We want God to be angry because we're angry. We want God to be petty because we're petty. We, 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 we want God to be vindictive because we, we are vindictive. You, there is so much that we blame on God that, that ain't nowhere near the vicinity of the character of God. You know, I just feel the Lord telling me to say this to you or the Lord, the Lord is leading me. I'm sorry if you think I'm nasty, but I just feel like God is telling me I got to be nasty because what you did is wrong. No, no, no. God didn't tell you to do that. No. Don't, don't blame that on God. You know, we get super spiritual. I feel the Lord. Lord, it, the Lord is not leading you. That is you. That is your stuff. That's your junk. That ain't, that ain't Jesus. Jonah says to God, You know what? This is why I ran in the first place. Ah. So now we're given more insight into not only why Jonah ran in the first place, but why Jonah never repented. You remember we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Jonah never says, God, I'm sorry, I never should have run. No, 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 no. We're giving more insight into that. Jonah knew that God was gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and that he relents in sending calamity. So so Jonah, as a prophet, is thinking, now, if I go to Nineveh and prophesy that they are going to be destroyed, And then you, God, because I know you, if you turn around and do your gracious and compassionate thing, always abounding in love and relenting and sending calamity. If you do that, then what I prophesy is not going to come to pass. And if I prophesy something, God, that does not come to pass, then my reputation as a prophet is going to be destroyed. My reputation as a hero to the nation of Israel and as an integrous leader is going to be destroyed. So the real reason that Jonah ran, the real reason that Jonah never repented, the real reason that Jonah is angry right now is because the entire time he's been more concerned about his reputation than anything else. Teach, Pastor, I intend to. And it feels a little bit like this is commonplace these days. At times I I feel like we have prioritized our own reputation above anything else at times it feels a little bit like that's all we care about i hear i hear it all the time well yeah but i gotta think about my reputation i gotta think about my business reputation i gotta think about my family's reputation my my personal reputation and it's interesting because we will break our neck and bend over backwards and make bad decisions just to protect our reputation but but here's the question what about god's reputation I mean, I mean. It, it seems at times, I'm not going to get amens, I guess, right there. That's fine. That's fine. Derby, I know you got me. Help me, help me, help me, help me. It does seem a little bit at times that we have been so busy trying to protect our own reputation that we have negatively affected God's reputation. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, let me give you an example of this. For the first time in the history of the magazine, just last week, GQ magazine put out their list of books not to read, and the Bible is on the top of that list. I read the article last week. broke my heart. I, I, I grew up, you know, flipping through GQ magazine saying, man, when I grow up, I want to be, be fly like that. I want to dress like that. And, and for the first time in the history of the magazine, they put out, they put out this list. They, they do this list often, but for the first time in the history of the magazine, at the top of their list of books not to read is the Bible. And they said, well, you're know, read this, read this, read this, read this, but don't read the Bible. And they tell you why in the article because the Bible is judgmental, the Bible is condemnatory, the the, the Bible is filled with hate. And I read the article and my heart broke. And I said, Now, God, how did we get here? How did this happen? Holy Spirit said, Well, you know how this happened. I said, No, I'm not quite sure. He said, No, I'll tell you how it happened. Because whoever the decision makers are for GQ Magazine, at some point on their journey, they came into believers, came into contact with believers. Who look more like Jonah than anything else? Believers who are more concerned about their own reputation, and in the process, they have damaged the reputation of God. I may not get any a man's right up in through here, but 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 I do wonder, where are the believers who are willing to stand up and say, "Now wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute"? Hate, judgment, racism, prejudice—that is not who our God is. Our, our God. Is a compassionate God. Our God is a gracious God. Always abounding in love. A God who loves to relent. In sending calamity. Well how do you know? All you got to do is look at me. I am his ambassador. I am the recipient of that love. And that's the same love I'm going to show you. When when our reputation. Is more important than representing God the right way. we, We look like Jonah. And Jonah's mindset is so messed up. Jonah's understanding is so misplaced that he would literally rather die than not have his way. In in, in verse 3, he says, now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than, than to live. Get this. He would rather die than to not have his way. And I have seen that. I've had a front row seat. And I've seen things. Die unnecessarily. I've seen marriages die unnecessarily. Because because people would rather it die than not get their way. I have seen seen God-ordained opportunities die because people would rather allow a God-ordained opportunity to die than to not have their own way. I have seen families torn apart because our mentality is so messed up that people would rather it fall apart and usher in generational dysfunctionality than to not have their way. But look at the grace of God. Look at how God responds to Jonah, Jonah 4 and 4. God responds to Jonah and he just says, Hey, 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 Jonah, um, is it right for you to be angry? I, I love it. The gra- God doesn't rebuke Jonah. God, God doesn't say, "Look, look here." You know, I mean, God, God. God is so amazing. His love and His grace is is so amazing. He just says, um, "Are you sure you're reading this right, bro?" I mean, He's just let me let me just ask you a question. Uh, are you sure your read on this is right? I mean, I see you angry and all that, you know. But but uh, you you sure you got this right? In other words, God is saying, um, "Jonah, can I make a suggestion? You need to search your heart, bro." Search your heart. See, when you look at Jonah, particularly as he behaves here, it it really causes us to go back and re-examine the powerful prayer that he prayed in Jonah 2 when he was in the belly of the fish. Because what's clear is that while he said some very powerful things, what's evident is that what he prayed didn't penetrate his heart. See, Jonah knows what to say. He said the right things in the belly of the fish. He adequately describes who God is. But yet the very things he said didn't transform his heart. The very things that he prayed didn't, didn't penetrate his heart. So many of us, like Jonah, are literally six inches from breakthrough. Six inches is the distance from your head to your heart. We, we know a whole bunch of stuff about God in our head. But the reason why we haven't experienced the radical breakthrough that God wants to bring is because that stuff had made it from our head to our heart. When, when you look back at Jonah's prayer, I want to take a, take a small detour and show this to you. you. You clearly see this. You see that he prayed some very powerful things, but it didn't penetrate his heart. For an example, A, you see that Jonah's not even aware of his own individual needs. If you go back and look at Jonah 2 and verse, verse 9, you know, this was the end of his prayer. And, and he says, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. I mean, that's, that's good shouting stuff right there, right? Jonah makes this statement, but the statement salvation comes belongs to the Lord, refers to immediate danger. He, he's literally in the belly of a fish, and he's saying, hey, God, I know you're going to get me out of this. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Uh, yeah, but, but he is unaware of the ongoing work of salvation that God's got to do in his heart. <sighs> this is so good. I'm teaching better than you responding. So many of us respond to God the same way. When we're in trouble, God, I need you to save me. And and when we get out of the trouble, we think, whew, thank you, God, Whoo, glad that's over, and we are oblivious to the ongoing work of salvation that God's got to do in our own heart. Are you following me? Some of us think that the moment we accept Jesus as our Savior, we've crossed the finish line, and we are oblivious to the fact that that's not the finish line, it's really the starting line. Okay, let me see if I can explain this. Uh, Look at somebody near you and tell them there are three dynamics to salvation. Uh, y'all didn't say it right. Derby, talk to me. Tell, tell somebody near you, there are three dynamics to, to salvation. So we gotta, I got to go back to old school, Sunday school. Right? Amen. Let me, let me go back to that. So, so look at this. 2 Corinthians 1 and 10. I'll give you a verse that helps to teach this. 2 Corinthians 1 and 10. There are three dynamics to salvation. Paul says, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us again. On him, we've set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Other translations say he has saved us from, from deadly peril. He will save us again. And on him, we've set our hope that he will continue to save us. Now, let me break this down old school Sunday school style. Salvation is both instantaneous and progressive at the same time. What, 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 what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? The, the moment you open your heart to Jesus, come into my heart, Lord. I confess you as my Savior, repent of my sins. At that moment, in that instance, your spirit is saved. Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. The Bible says that he is a, he is a deposit, guaranteeing that which is to come. Your spirit is saved. Right? Instantaneous. But there's still other stuff in you that God wants to work on. Are you following me? Because salvation is both instantaneous and progressive at the same time. So when Paul says he has delivered us, that's instant. The moment I say, God, come into my heart. I profess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He has saved us. He has delivered us. Ah. Then Paul says, and he will deliver us again. What is he talking about future tense? When we die. When we die and go to glory, we get new bodies. Paul says, and we know that if this earthly house be dissolved, we have a building eternal in the heavens. A building not made by human hands. That's what Paul means when he says, and he will deliver us again. But wait a minute. He says, and we have set our hope on him that he will continue to deliver us. What is he talking about? Meaning every day that you walk with God, there's work that he's doing in you. So salvation is instantaneous and progressive at the same time. The moment you open your heart to Jesus, your spirit is saved. What's the ongoing work of salvation? God is still saving your soul. What is your soul? The soul is the level of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Because you can be saved and still have stinking thinking. You can be saved and still have stuff in your heart that ain't right. You, you can be saved and your emotions are still out of whack. Oh, no, he didn't cut me off. And Holy Spirit's like, bring it in, bring it in, br- bring, it in bring it in, bring it in, bring it in. And you're schizophrenic because you got, you got an old flashback. Man, before Jesus, I'd be taking my earrings. Where's my vaseline? You know. You get that? The Holy Spirit's like, yeah, but, but now that you know Jesus, you know. And you have to decide in that moment, who am I going to let run my life? Am I going to go back to my BC days? Are you following me? Because there's an ongoing work of salvation that God's still working. And then, praise God, when we die and go to glory, we get new bodies. This is one of the most dangerous things to think is, well, I've given my life to Jesus, so I'm good. No, you're not good. You're just getting started. This is why one of the most dangerous things to think is, well, I've been in church for a few years. I've heard some really good messages. That's good. No, 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 no. There's still an ongoing work that God is doing in your heart. See, Jonah thinks that that this is just about a messed up sinful city, Nineveh, and he has no idea how messed up and sinful his own heart is. Do you know how jacked up our lives would be if what was in our heart was visible Um, like a cartoon caption? You know, you walk in a room and it's just hanging over your head. I'm just here because I really don't want to be. You know, if if what's in your heart, do you know how jacked up that would be? Yeah, really, that praise is like, Lord, I just want to thank you because... Woo, I've been thinking some stuff in my heart, God, that ain't right. God, thank you that my wife doesn't know it. Thank you that my boss doesn't know it. God, thank you. Oh, thank you. But while they may not know it, God does. And that's that ongoing work. Are you following me? So Jonah is is oblivious to his own individual needs. Here's another thing. Jonah doesn't even recognize that he is engaged in idol worship. Go back to verse 8 of Jonah 2 that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. In Jonah's prayer, he he says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Right? And when Jonah makes that statement, at the time when he prays that prayer in the belly of the fish, he's referring to the sailors, because you remember the sailors were idol worshipers until after the storm and they gave their lives to the Lord. He's referring to Nineveh, because before Nineveh repented, they were idol worshipers. And so Jonah is talking about, oh, I'm so glad, God, that I know you and that I'm with you because these idol worshipers, they don't have any clue, and he has no clue that he is an idol worshiper himself. Yeah. Oh, I can tell by how you responded. i got to stay here for a second. <laughs> what is an idol? An idol is anything that we worship more than God himself. Right. And I know that we've gathered at all of our campuses this morning for worship, but here's the key. We all worship something. What do you mean we worship something? Well, the the English word that, that, that we know as worship comes from two words, worth and ship. Meaning that we worship whatever is of worth to us. Now let's go to the deep end of the pool. Whatever is of worth to you, whatever you choose to worship, is connected to what you fear the most. So if you fear loneliness, you worship relationships. If you fear not being accepted or not being esteemed, then you worship your social network or you worship the way you look or the car you drive or the amount of money you make. If, if you worship, uh, if you fear insignificance, then you're going to worship your career or your accomplishments. Have you ever met some, someone and you just say, hey, how you doing? And they go down there, whole resume, you didn't even ask for it. You will worship your career and your accomplishments and who you know and who knows you if you fear insignificance. Why? Because behind everything you worship is some fear that without this thing, life is going to be meaningless and I would be lost. See, Jonah doesn't get it. He's an idol worshiper. His idol is his national identity as an Israelite and his status as being a prophet of God. This is part of the reason he does not want Nineveh to be saved. Because he's thinking, well, if Nineveh's saved, wait wait a minute, I'm saved. What's going to make me special anymore? If Nineveh's saved, if they know you, God, like I know you, then how am I going to be different? His identity was not anchored in God. His identity was anchored in being an Israelite and a prophet. Oh. You might be quiet. Let me just pause here parenthetically, because I want, to, I want to talk to a few of you that uh, you've been having some problems with some Jonas in your own life. Some of you have been praying, God, I don't know why they don't like me. I don't know what their issue is. Some of you, this may only be but for three or four of you, you've been in a season where you've had some really difficult people to deal with. And, and the Lord sent me here to tell you it is not because they don't like you. It's that they don't like themselves. And they have been hating on you because they haven't learned how to love what is unique and special about them. Another message another time, but that may just be for one or two of you. So let's come back to Jonah for a second. Jonah doesn't even know that while he's criticizing the sailors and Nineveh for being an idol worshiper, so is he. And let me ask you, do you have an idol? What do you trust more than God? To gain acceptance and approval and to give your life meaning. And let me just say this to you now. Whatever you're trying to build your life on, other than God, is not going to last. And some of you already know it. So Some of you have already tried to build and the foundation has been faulty, which is why the old hymn writer had it right when he said, On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean." on Jesus' name because anything else that you try to build your life on that you try to gain significance and meaning from other than God is going to crumble and sadly disappoint you Jonah's Jonah's got a misplaced understanding but but here it is number two he's also got a misplaced love oh this is so good pick me up at verse 5 of Jonah 4 and it says Jonah had gone out and sat down at the place east of the city There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what was going to happen to the city. Look at this. Jonah does not stay in the city after the folk repent. Jonah is like, I don't care nothing about growth track. I don't care nothing about life. Jonah's like, oh, oh, so y'all repenting? I'm out poor 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 people Jonah didn't pray with them Jonah didn't hold them by the hand and teach them about how to deepen their walk with the Lord I mean they just newbies Jonah's like hey you out there by yourself peace he leaves the city goes out finds a secluded place and waits hoping that God will change his mind and destroy the city Jonah Jonah is very much like the elder brother in Luke 15 if you remember that story When the prodigal son comes home, when he repents and comes to the Lord and and the dad who represents God throws a party and kills a fatted calf and all of that, his elder brother doesn't even come to the party because his elder brother is mad that his younger brother is back home. See, it's possible to run from God in our obedience, just like it's possible to run from God in our disobedience. I hope you're ready for this. In the first part of Jonah, you see Jonah running out of disobedience. Second part of Jonah, you see him running in obedience. He does what God asks him to do, but he's still running from God because he did it with the wrong heart. It's possible to do the right thing with the wrong heart and still be in the wrong place. Pick pick me up in verse 6 of Jonah 4. It says, then the Lord, here it is, here it is. I love this. God, I love your word. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort and Jonah was very happy about the plant. (laughs) Jonah is in the hot sun in the desert and God says, look at his grace. God says, poor Jonah. I, this, I know I couldn't be God. I just, the Holy Spirit just said that to me. You know you couldn't do this. Because I'd be like, how hot is it, Jonah? <laughs> I, I'd be like, God, let him sit out there. Let him bake a little bit longer. You know what I mean he was. No, no. He's in the desert. And look at how awesome God is. His love, his grace. Overnight. matter of a couple hours. God makes a plant grow. I don't know what kind of plant this is that God says, you're going to grow real... It's a miracle. God says, you're going to grow up real quickly and you're going to provide enough shade for Jonah. And watch this. Jonah was happy because he had some shade. But then verse 7 says, But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die. And said, and it would be better for me... To die than to live. Wait a minute. So now a second time he says I want to die. And look at, look at the compassion, the grace of God. But God said to Jonah, uh, hey, bro, um, you sure about that? Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry I wish I were dead. Yet again, God says, Jonah, check your heart, man. Check check your heart. And then in verse 10, the Lord says, now, let me get this right. Let me see if I'm tracking with you, Jonah. You've been concerned about this plant. Though you didn't tend it or make it grow, it sprung up overnight and died overnight. I did that. Now, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? God asks this question because it's clear that Jonah doesn't understand the heart of the Father. He's a prophet of God and doesn't understand God. He's working on behalf of God and doesn't understand the heart of God. He's standing on the stage to minister, preaching great messages, but doesn't understand the heart of God. He's he's laying hands and people are falling out and he's got a big position and he's got a prestigious title, but he doesn't understand the love of God. See, God's love is unconditionally wide and deep and it is offered to all people without distinction. Let me say that again. God's love is so wide that you can't get around it. It's so high you can't get over it. It's so low that you can't get under it. And he offers that love unconditionally, without distinction, to all people. Watch this. And this is what angers Jonah. God is essentially saying to Jonah, Jonah, you don't understand me. Jonah, yeah, 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 I know you prophesy and all that stuff, but but you don't understand my heart. You don't understand my love for people. Jonah cared more for a plant than he did for people. Look at this. When God raised up a plant, Jonah was happy. When the plant died, Jonah was angry. When everybody in Nineveh was getting ready to die, Jonah was happy. When God raised them up so that they could live, Jonah was angry. God, God, God is saying, you, 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 don't, you, you, don't, you don't understand it. You don't understand my heart. You have got this thing totally twisted, Jonah. You care more about a plant than you did about people. Jonah, you, you care more about what you wanted than what I wanted. Jonah, you care more about being comfortable than being in my will. And I don't expect to get any amens right here. You know why? Because this ought to hit you squarely in between the eyes. This, this ought to grab your heart and break it. Because the truth of the matter is, if we're not careful, all of us can be guilty, just like Jonah was. And the point that God is trying to make is the big difference between his love and the kind of love we try to pass off as his love. When you really, really understand the love of God, then you understand that God always loves people the most. While for us, unfortunately, at times, there's several things we love more than people. Sometimes it's careers, it's our cards, it's our material possessions, it's, it's, it's money, sports, whole bunch of stuff. Often we are guilty of loving that stuff more than people. But God loves people. So much so in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, it says over and over and over again that Jeremiah would often look out upon the city and he would weep because he he had that heart for the city. And not only Jeremiah, Jesus did the same thing in Luke. He said that he looked out upon Jerusalem and wept for the city because he was so concerned about the brokenness and the lost people in that city. The Bible says that he looked at them like sheep without a shepherd. Jeremiah cried. Jesus cried. Jonah was like, every one of y'all can just go to hell. (laughs) Now, why you laugh at Jonah? What about you? Because often we'll drive by them. We'll get in our house, put in the alarm, lock the door, turn on the news and say, now that's a shame. Somebody ought to do something about that. Well wait a minute. Wait a minute. But somebody is us. A great theologian once said it this way In God's city, the inhabitants hmm, love people and walk on gold. In man's city, the inhabitants love gold and walk on people. I, I gotta say that again. I can't take credit for this. A great theologian once said, "In in in God's city, the inhabitants love people and walk on gold. The streets are paved with gold. But in man's city, the inhabitants love gold and walk on people." That's what you see with Jonah. And God is confronting Jonah, honestly, just like He's confronting us. He's confronting the church. He's confronting this nation. Because God loves people. In God's economy, people come before projects and anything else. And can I tell you how God proves it? Not only in going after Nineveh, God also proves it in going after Jonah. As angry and as messed up as Jonah is for no reason, God still is passionately pursuing him. Jonah, search your heart. Jonah, come on, man. And if you can't identify with Jonah, you can get this point because God demonstrates the same thing in his radical pursuit of you. When's the last time you you really got a glimpse of how flawed and how fractured you are? And the mere fact that God loves you enough that he still is pursuing you. That's the heart of the father. You know what? Oh, Lord, I got to run. I'm almost out of time. I'm out of time. I see it. But but, but here's the thing. This is part of the reason why every week we invite you. Bring somebody with you. Don't just come by yourself. You know why? Because that's the heart of the Father. God says, I don't want anybody to be without me. I want everybody that is hurting and broken and downtrodden. I want want everybody to know me. I was was leaving the Derby campus this morning, and a woman came up to me, and she said, you know, you were talking to me because I was contemplating suicide. God says, God says I, I want her and I want him. and I want, I want everybody that doesn't know me. I, I, want, I want them to know how much I love them. I want them to know that there's hope for tomorrow. That they don't need to despair. But wait a minute. God says, but I need you to bring him to me. Let me show this to you. Jesus teaches a whole parable on this in Luke 14 and verse 16. It says, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. These are, these are the people that take grace for granted. These are the people that, that, that say, "Oh, I've been around church, or I've been to the church, or I've heard a couple of sermons, so I'm good, I'm good. The first said, I just, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please, please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. And I'm on my way to try them out. Please, please, excuse me, please. I I, I can't make it right now, Jesus. I'll come another time. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. And the servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go on quickly, look, where? Into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. Hallelujah. Then the master told him, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house might be full. That's our responsibility. Well, pastor, pastor, you know, I tried to invite my neighbor and you know they they already they already have a church yeah but wait a minute what about the poor person you drove by? Well, I tried to invite my cousin, but you know your cousins can be passed. Okay, but but what about the homeless guy? What if, what if God is wanting us to go after the people that the world has thrown away? And see. I, it comes down to your mindset. Boy, it's quiet in here. It comes down to your mindset. Some of you are like, how much time is he got left? Lord, when is this series going to be over? And nudging like, we picked the wrong day to come. Did you know about this series? It comes down to your mindset. What do you mean your mindset? To so either you have a tribal mindset or you have a missional mindset. Jonah had a tribal mindset. When you have a tribal mindset... That's not the mindset of God, by the way. A tribal mindset is about self-preservation. Just tell me what I got to do to look out for me. That's a tribal mindset. You exist only for yourself. A missional mindset is the heart of God. A missional mindset is about self-sacrifice. A missional mindset is about others. A missional-minded person will be inconvenienced, will go out of their way, go the extra mile for somebody else. Well, Pastor, you just described that I have, I have a tribal mindset. Here's the problem. Tribal mindset is not the gospel. The gospel is a missional mindset. That's the story of the gospel, that God himself sacrificed himself and went out of the way for his enemies. Jonah runs away from his enemies. God runs to them. Oh, that's so good. That's a missional mindset. And you know what? Every married couple that I've ever sat down with, that my wife and I have ever sat down with, when we listen, you know what it ultimately comes down to? Particularly marriages that are going through challenges, it ultimately comes down to whether you have a tribal mindset or a missional mindset. Because if you have a tribal mindset, man, you will tear up a marriage. Because the tribal mindset says, well, I don't, I don't ain't nothing wrong with me. As long as they do what I need them to do and they become more like me, this will be fine. Tell them, pastor. I'm like, "Oh, slow your roll. A missional mindset is husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. That's service. That's self-sacrificing. Everybody's quiet. Let me give you this last point point, then we'll go home. (laughs) We're not ending the series today. We'll end it on next Sunday. (laughs) Just... Some of you are like, oh. <laughs> but here's the thing: Jonah had a misplaced understanding. He had a misplaced love. But then the whole book of Jonah ends with the most important question. This, this doesn't end with the Lone Ranger swooping in or the Avengers saving the day. This book ends in a weird way. It ends with a question. And we're not even given the answer. God says. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people that cannot tell their right hand from the left? And what about all these animals, Jonah? That's how the book ends, cliffhanger. And and scholars for centuries have debated why in the world the book of Jonah ends this way. And, And the conclusion that they've drawn is the same conclusion that God showed me. The real issue is not whether or not Jonah answered the question. The real issue is how are you and I going to answer the question? That's the real issue. Do do you agree with God that people are lost without Jesus? Do do, do you agree with God that we are called to have compassion on those who are lost? Do, do Do you agree with God that it matters whether or not our cities? are one to him, that, that we've got to do something about the fact that at times it looks like there's more sin in our city than transformation. Do, do, do you pray that the gospel will go everywhere? Do, do you put on your prayer list in the morning, God, use me. Show me someone that doesn't know you so that I can introduce them to you. Do you invite the hurt, the lost? Do you invite them to church with you? All of those questions and so much more are in the question that God closes this book with. Is it not right for me to care about Nineveh? We can't answer for Jonah, but we sure enough can answer for ourselves. Come on, praise team musicians. Come on, get it it in place. I feel the heat, boy. It's tight up in here. Let me share this with you. Amen, thank you. As you are wrestling with answering that question, let me leave you with this. Anybody who replies to God's question, is it not right that I, that I care about Nineveh? And remember what I asked you to do get, get, get in your mind the worst kind of person to you because Nineveh was far worse. And that's what Nineveh represents somebody you think is bad, horrible, deplorable, messed up. If you answer God's question, Is it not right that I care about Nineveh? If you answer it with, why is this such a big deal? Then you don't understand the gospel. If you answer the question, God says, is it not right that I care about Nineveh? If your answer is, God, I know this is not right, but no, you shouldn't care about Nineveh. I'm sick of Nineveh. If that's your answer, you don't believe the gospel. Let me say it again. If the way you answer the question is, why does this matter? You don't understand the gospel. It matters because that's what the gospel is all about. If the answer to the question, because you're still processing through hurt, because you haven't gotten free, come on life, is no, God, you shouldn't care about my enemies. You shouldn't care about the people that hurt me. If that's your answer, you don't believe the gospel. I am so glad that Jesus... Didn't come for perfect people. I'm 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 so glad, I'm so I'm so glad that that God didn't say, I'm gonna send my son only for the people that cross every T and dot every I. But because if you're not in touch with your frailties and your flawlessness, right? I mean the fact that you are flawed, not flawless, then you'll miss this. This message will fly right over your head. But, but, but if you got a glimpse of how messed up you really are. I know you're dressed up. I know you look good. But if you really have gotten a glimpse of that, then you appreciate Nineveh. Yeah. Yeah. And for every Ninevite up in here, up in here, I just want to say, God, I want to thank you for caring about Nineveh. Because if, if you didn't care about Nineveh, you, you wouldn't have cared about me. I'm so glad that when I was sinking deep in sin, you, you reached down. And you grabbed me. That, that you didn't let me die in my stuff. But that you cared. That's the love of God. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.